0: Sleepy? Instant coffee? Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right, sell your car the instant way and get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family owned funeral directors.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan, welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My guest in this episode presides over one of the most loved, one of the most quintessentially Australian services that we have here. I speak of the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and I'm pleased to say we have its WA CEO Rebecca Tomkinson with us for this episode of Inspiring Stories. Rebecca, hello and welcome.
2: Thank you very much, Tim. It's delightful to be here.
1: It it, it is such a loved institution, isn't it, the Royal Flying Doctor Service? You've been its CEO for a little while now, since the early part of 2018.
2: I have. How does that
1: responsibility rest on your shoulders?
2: Yes, it's a a very important one, and um, it is a truly loved organisation, and I had a sense of that uh, as I was stepping into the role, but I don't think anything really prepared me for just how much the community relies on us and how accessible we need to be and how many stories there are. Mm. Wherever I go, someone will share their mother's, brother's, cousin's experience. Mm. And sometimes not all of those are positive, positive, mm. but and the outcome can be challenging, but everyone talks about the significance and how great it was that we were there to help.
1: I, I can see what would attract you to the role. I mean, this incredible legacy that it has, Um, But what made you want to take on the reins and go, yes, I can lead this organisation into the next phase of its existence, particularly given that we have so many exciting technologies, for instance, now coming to fruition?
2: We certainly do. And for me, I'm a country girl. I grew up in regional WA and the Royal Flying Doctor is an essential part of that story. And it really means something to me. So it's an extraordinary privilege to be able to give back to the communities that raised me And to be able to be part of the next generation of story for the Royal Flying Mm. Doctor Service. We've just turned 90, and I like to just thank you. I like to describe that a little bit Benjamin Button ish in the movie. (laughs) So we're actually getting younger as we get older because of that technology and because of that innovation. And I'm sure your listeners would appreciate that we are entering some of the most disrupted times within our. Different uh, industries and health's no different. There is extraordinary technology, and I'm really concentrating on how we can take our service to the next level to continue that promise of being able to provide care to the most remote corners wherever it's needed.
1: Do you have a personal experience with the Royal Flying Doctor Service? Can I ask, growing up in, in Karatha, have yeah. you been uh, intimately involved with? With what they do
2: so fortunately for me I didn't need to be air out but as a young child I um, had very significant asthma so right. I spent a lot of time in Dampier Regional Hospital uh, in an oxygen tent back in the day and what I remember is the real terror on my parents faces every time that attack would come. Um, and how much they relied on the health industry and certainly the relief that they had when they knew that if it got worse, there was an ability for Mm. care to be provided to us. So I think what that instilled in me is just that sense of how important our community infrastructure is. Mm. And, um, you know, you you, you hope you don't need to use it, but you certainly want to know it's there. And I think particularly for regional and country communities that part of the reliability of the service is just so essential to peace of mind.
1: Yeah. You, you mentioned some of the stories that you you must hear on a daily basis. Are there any that have really stayed with you? Any little personal anecdotes that people have shared with you that you've just had your mind blown by?
2: I think a couple of them. I um, Actually, we were our Administration base is at Jandicott mm. and uh, it's also a really active base. Uh, we do a lot of service delivery from Jandicott and um, I was in the other day, and my team came up and they said, "Oh, we've got a family, and um, they've come to ask for a tour because they want to make a bequest." And I was okay, great, and you know they're touring around, and the team came down and found me and said. Oh, Rebecca, can you come and say hello? Um, You know, just wanted to be able to make this bequest. And I went upstairs and I met the family, and uh, they gave this extraordinary gift. And as I'm talking to the son and daughter of this amazing woman who left us uh, support in her her will, I realised that that's my grandma. And I'm actually talking to my, you know, the equivalent of my mum and dad in that sort of... And we just lost my grandma. Yeah. And I've got a tear coming to my eye and I'm sharing, you know, what a difference this bequest will make for us. And I actually, it's not very CEO-ish, but I reach in and I, I give the daughter a hug and we're both in tears because that sort of connection to mm. being able to make a difference and a contribution greater th- than self is mm. really what the service is all about. Yeah. I also... Um, had the uh, ability to go and see all of our bases when I first started. Um, And I was down at Kalgoorlie and the mail arrived. And in the mail, there was a thank you letter from Georgia. And what she'd done is intricately drawn a picture of the plane and tiny little logo in all its detail. And inside it said, Dear Plane Driver, (laughs) Thanks for stopping your plane and coming out of your way to pick me up when I wasn't well. I really appreciate it.
1: That's a that's a framer on that one, isn't
2: it? And yeah. and it was just so eloquent in that sense of dear plane driver. And <laughs> and I think what it sort of talks to again is the humility of community. Yeah. Sort of even then saying you know thank you for helping me when I really needed it. I also um, we don't always send uh, teams on the plane, so I use a couple of uh, stories around. Uh, Esperance, a couple of months back, um, we had uh, a young mum who was uh, post-pregnancy and there were some really serious complications. And when the medical teams, we work closely with WA Country Health, it's really important, and the local community health infrastructure. And when the medical teams were talking about what was going to um, matter most to the patient, they realised they didn't have enough time Mm -hmm. to get a crew to her and back. But what we could do is get specialist support from Perth straight to Esperance to be able to save her life. Mm. And that's what's happened. So, you know, there are just so many amazing stories. Um, If I can, I share that um, just as we were heading off for the long weekend um, over Anzac Day, I always like to pop up and say hello to our op centre. and. Maybe your listeners might not realise that we actually operate 24 hours a day, seven yep. days a week, and we have our own service coordinators. You know, how are we looking? And, and there was this sort of kind of anxiousness in the room. And I looked out, and one of the planes had just landed, and all of the spare medical staff from the whole base were rushing, literally running to the plane. Mm. And on board was a, a young child who had a very serious um, – complication around some abdominal surgery and the teams were said, well, it was touch and go.
0: Yeah.
2: And what we'd just done is sent the new Rio Tinto PC24. So we'd got her with extra time and we managed to get to Perth Children's Hospital in time to save her life. Yeah. And just to sort of see the start of that story and then the finish of it and to know that it truly does make a difference Mm. what we do.
1: Yeah. And being able to then share those stories as a a CEO must be pretty special. It is really special.
2: Um, And to be able to help people uh, tell the end of the story, because sometimes, obviously, you know, we are uh, meeting people at what is the most traumatic time um, for them, and then we sort of disappear. So roles like mine have that great integration with the community for people to be able to say, oh, I just, I wanted to say, this is what happened, or I just wanted to share with you, uh, this was the outcome. And, and again, like I say, sometimes that's not always as you would want the outcome to be, but people genuinely want to be able to express, we appreciated mm. that you were there. Yeah. There's extraordinary clinicians. Um, again, you know, just amazing human beings that I have the great privilege to represent, I sort of tell them I get to take the credit for all their work <laughs> and they know that I'm only slightly kidding on. Sorry. But um, one of our flight nurses was on a uh, plane home actually up to Port Headland and they saw uh, one of the passengers board and they didn't look real good. And um, he thought, oh, you know, I don't really think they look real good. I'm just going to go up and, and then like literally in front of him, the passenger fainted and, what had happened is the passenger was was having a heart attack, so oh. our flight nurse stayed with the patient in the aisle of the plane uh, doing um, life-saving CPR, waiting for the first responders to to arrive yeah. and again, you know just going about their ordinary business being who they are in the world and making such a life-saving decision mm.
1: It just sounds like you've got an amazing team of Good, selfless people.
2: I truly do. Don't ranks, I? So yes. That's pretty unique. It is very unique. Very uh, unique.
1: This is inspiring stories. We need to take a break. Rebecca Tomkinson uh, is our special guest. Uh, she is the CEO of the Royal Flying Doctor Service in WA. I am going to get into uh, more of, of just what you do and, and the extraordinary distances and challenges you face, given uh, the
0: immense size of WA in particular. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on eight eighty two six BR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing all
1: about the Royal Flying Doctor Service uh, with its WAC uh, Rebecca Tomkinson. Rebecca, I think you know it's one of those things that just about everyone is aware of, uh, and absolutely appreciates, you know, what it does. Um, But in terms of the the challenges that you face in WA, we know it's a big place. Yeah. But can you you give us a breakdown on on some of the numbers, um, the distances you cover, you know, the sorts of flights, the sorts of challenges that your people here in WA have given our immense, vast size?
2: Yeah, so we cover all 2.5 million Square kilometres of WA, which
1: I, I, I don't think people can really get their head around. Them. I mean,
2: they really can't. Uh, that's a lot. I understand that Switzerland fits in about thirty-three times. Yeah, and we use that analogy because the PC twelve and the PC twenty-four that we have are Swiss-built. Um, You're
1: sounding like a plane nut now. I, by the I way.
2: can't. I've learned a bit about <laughs> planes. Um, there's three components to our planes: yeah. there's the engine, um, the or aero, um, the electronics, uh, and the airframe itself, and yep. all three are in. in in central part
1: and a plane driver up the front of course i was just going
2: to go to our plane <laughs> yeah. drivers who again are exceptional because um, they do all sorts of different pieces they need to refuel their own planes yeah. they actually help with the uh, loading and unloading of of our patients um, they've also been known uh, in an emergency to have to take the odd note or to transcribe uh, activity back to uh, a base in perth um, as the medical teams are working so they're all extraordinary mm. um, people and um, come together as a team in a very small space and I think that's one of the things that people are quite surprised at is just how small in the interior of the aircraft mm. are uh, and just what amazing people they are to be able to perform everything that you would in a standard emergency room inside a small aircraft at altitude under pressure.
1: Yeah the odds are against you. They are yeah.
2: yet they prevail. And yeah. um, they go above and beyond every single day. And certainly uh, across, you know, we have 16 PC-12s and two Rio Tinto Life Flight PC-24s, uh, which were also able to be part of WA with a very generous support of Lottery West um, and the Commonwealth Government. So a true community partnership with Rio. And that brings our fleet to 18 aircraft today. We're across five different bases. So Yeah, uh, so
1: whereabouts are you spread around WA?
2: We're in Broome. Yep. We're also in Mekathara, Port Headland, Kalgoorlie, and we've got an active base at Jandicott. Yeah. So across those five centres, we've got uh, 24-hour coverage, and we have doctors, flight nurses and pilots based at all of those areas. We do about 8,500 flights a year we do just a little over 20 flights a day and not always when we thought we might need to do them. So one of the unique pieces that we have to do, of course, is balance all of those logistics and sometimes that peak demand comes through and all of the flights need to happen at the same time. Of course. So the team just (laughs) does an incredible job of coordinating and working through the prioritisation of those flights. We do both a primary evacuation and we do that in partnership with our first responders, St John Ambulance. But we also do an inter-hospital transfer, which is bringing people from one care environment to another. Sometimes that's back here into Perth, but often that'll be to other regional areas from smaller regional hospitals. So a real cross-section of activity that's taking place. For your listeners, we actually on our PC12 are able to do Perth to Broome in a little on four and a half hours. With the introduction of the new PC24s, we can do that in two hours and twenty minutes. Wow! So it's a real game Twice changer. As fast, pretty much. Absolutely.
1: And can I ask? So, so these these planes, just for those who aren't familiar with um, the PC24, these these are the new aircraft. You um, your shiniest. They are, Best Tim. New additions. We're can, very proud. You're, you're beaming when I just mentioned <laughs> they it. Are. Um, these are essentially what the sorts of planes that that obscenely rich people might get for their own enjoyment. To take um, them to
2: Aspen skiing, that's right. Exactly, <laughs>
1: yeah. You guys have basically fitted them out as absolute state of the art mobile. Um,
2: emergency walks, emergency. In the sky.
1: Exactly, yeah.
2: They certainly are. But
1: also, um, you know, you have to carry. I imagine diagnostic equipment, you have to carry drugs in there. Um, it's It has to be everything, doesn't it?
2: It really does have to be everything. And I like to just share with West Australians the amazing story. So 15 years ago, we introduced the PC-12s and we worked with local WA engineers to look at doing the aeromedical fit out. Mm. And uh, we've just... In partnership with Pilatus and an organisation called Aerolite designed the very first aeromedical interior anywhere in the world for the PC24s and it is state of the art. It can take three stretches instead of our standard two and most importantly we can put two medical teams on board instead of one. So again, our ability to respond to a mass casualty environment, which of course we hope we never have to do, but it's there for West Australians if we need to. Yeah. Both aircraft are identical. So we just are able to put our medical teams and they rely on the fact that the tools and equipment are in exactly the same place and and they are. And certainly that diagnostic equipment um, is on board permanently. So our ability to be able to do emergency activity in the sky is enhanced again. Yeah. I've also been astonished at lighting and how far that's come in 15 years. Lighting. I know, which is not something that you would expect. No. But the lights inside the interior, again, and and I'm sure your listeners would appreciate that – being able to see more is so important with some of the very intricate work that our doctors and nurses need to do. So even the step change in the lighting over 15 years makes a real difference to patient outcomes.
1: What what sort of extra training does a a raw flying doctor service worker have to undergo? Because I'm guessing you can't just pull a paramedic out of Broome Hospital and say, hey, can you jump on a flight? You've got to go somewhere. Are there extra things that... A person like that would have to do to then become a raw flying doctor' service paramedic
2: there certainly are, so we have flight nurses, yeah, and all of our nurses are um, specialists in emergency nursing um, yeah. they're also all qualified midwives right, so they've all yeah. done at least five years postgraduate work from yep. the standard uh, nursing degree. Um, And as I say, midwifery on top of that, which is just amazing. Um, Our doctors, again, are all specialists in emergency management and aeromedical retrieval So the sort of
1: doctor you might find in an emergency department. Absolutely, Tim. And
2: then we take all of those skills that our medical professionals have learned in a hospital environment. And we need to be able to do that in a small space. Yeah. Um, and we need to understand how the body is going to respond at altitude. So there are different things that need to happen. Like sometimes the aircraft need to fly um, at a sea level to ensure that um, the particular clinical requirements of the patient are looked after. And Hang on, so
1: these, so these yes, expensive jets are uh-huh, skipping along the ocean? They
2: can skip along the ocean that if right? that's what's required. Wow. Yes.
1: Sorry, why would you do that?
2: So, certain clinical uh, cases need to ensure that. um, Oh, where pressure is a factor. Yes, where pressure is a factor. Yes. So, our clinicians are very skilled at understanding exactly what's required. Wow. Yep. So, if we
1: see a raw flying doctor service aircraft that's.
2: At altitude. At
1: altitude of 50 metres. Uh-huh. Don't panic. It's Do for I, a good reason. I know okay. exactly
2: what they're doing. Yeah, right. Um, and I, you know, love to sort of share. I actually um, was having lunch uh, on Saturday uh, on on the river and overflew one of our PC-12s. Mm. And it is just amazing across the, the narrows um, that that is the pathway up to Jandicot. So, you know, if you look out. Um, you'll often see one of our aircraft mm. heading home over to Jandakot. Yeah. Um, and it is quite a special sight. Still, yeah. you know, um, makes me take a deep breath and, and you know, look to see that everything's okay.
1: Yeah. And, and cross your fingers. That's right. Hoping for a, a good outcome.
2: Well, and, and I know that anybody on board that aircraft is in incredibly yeah. capable hands.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, because as we've touched on, all of our medical teams and, and our pilots are, are specialised in that aeromedical activity.
1: In terms of technology, obviously you've got the, the state-of-the-art aircraft here and, and fit it out to the best that we can possibly do at the moment. But uh, I imagine you always have to have an eye on things that are coming up. I wanted to ask you about drones because yeah. uh, we're seeing so many new applications of drones these days, not just in the, the medical environment, but particularly you know, in remote areas. Yeah, we are. Um, for emergency services and other more commercial applications. But how do they factor into your forward planning? If at all.
2: Well, I think like any health community organisation we are looking always at how we can continue to improve our service Um, I tell a little story that when I first started I got to go out to an Aboriginal community called Yakinara and as the team were loading the plane um, there was all this cargo going on board and I sort of asked this question around "Well, what's all of that and everyone said well that's the pharmacy because not only do we take the medical team but of course we need to take the tools and equipment so what we're looking at is being able to use drones um, around being able to provide other care for communities, particularly remote communities. Obviously, as the technology evolves, there'll be other ways for us to be able to apply that. And I think that's what's incredibly exciting about being in the healthcare industry at the moment is there's so much emerging capability, Mm. Um, even in our call centre and the ability to take calls. um, We have what we call a medical chest which uh, is what I call a first aid kit on steroids. Mm. So John Flynn, when he first started the Royal Flying Doctor, realised that actually what we needed to do was to be able to stabilise a patient in field. So he came up with this concept of a medical chest and what is in it is all of the medicines and equipment to stabilise in a first response. So we have those at uh, farm stations, at roadhouses, on mine sites and it has a 1-800 number that comes straight through to our medical team and the medical team can talk through what's in the box Mm. and be able to apply first aid care. So drones will add an extra dimension to that.
1: Yeah, delivering medications all of that sort of stuff.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: That's exciting.
2: It is very exciting. It really yeah. is. And I think as a service we have been evolving over those 90 years. You know, we started with the concept of a, a doctor flying a plane to help to address that tyranny of distance. Yeah. Right the way through now to having that emergency room in the sky. Yeah. And certainly I don't think we've even fully appreciated ourselves what drones will be able to deliver for us.
0: No.
1: It blows the mind really it does. when you start hearing about some of the things they can do. I remember reading something recently about um, someone in the US developing a a capsule um, that they could put a donated organ into and um, uh, it could be monitored from the ground so they could monitor, um, you know, the the conditions inside there, the level of moisture in there, the temperature in there uh, from the ground to help get an organ from uh, donor to recipient.
2: In In record time. Yeah.
1: It's just incredible, is it? Close to mind. It does. Um, while our minds are being blown, let's take a break. <laughs> this is Inspiring Stories uh, with the CEO of uh, the Royal Flying Doctors Service in WA, Rebecca Tom- Tomkinson. We'll be back with more very soon.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 BR. Brought to you by Barra and
1: O'Day. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are speaking to the CEO of the Royal Flying Doctor Service here in Western Australia, Rebecca Tomkinson. Uh, Rebecca, you've given us a pretty good snapshot of, of where you're at at the moment and how exciting things are going forward and obviously you've got these two incredible new uh, aircraft that you're very proud of and very pleased to have in your fleet. But uh, um, Again, so many people I think are aware of the Royal Flying Doctor Service and the fact that it's been around for a long time. You mentioned a moment ago that you just turned 90. Um, But from very humble beginnings, right?
2: Absolutely humble beginnings. And I like to sort of share with people that um, we're one of those true startups, which often isn't yeah. thought about.
1: A disruptor.
2: I dis- we absolutely <laughs> were a disruptor. And it, it took more than 10 years from the original idea to yeah. actually having a viable service. Um, and part of that um, actually occurred when Jimmy Darcy, who was a stockman uh, in the northwest of WA, was injured. Um, and what we had was a, a motivating story of, of Jimmy Darcy who arrives – Uh, at the Halls Creek, what was then a telegraph post, and the telegraph officer was all things, and he had just recently done a first aid course, one of the very first kind in Perth. Wow. I know, and what he realised was Jimmy needed help beyond what he could do, so he contacted the doctor who had delivered the training and said, what do I do? And he said, well, you're going to need to operate Because Jimmy doesn't have time. Oh, my God. And the whole time this is taking place... And what year is this? So this is um, just at the turn of the century. um, And when we're in Halls Creek, uh, Jimmy is uh, assisted by the postmaster over Morse Code and does this operation (laughs) over Morse Code. But the whole time this is taking place, what's happening is in Melbourne, the newspapers and Back in the day, they were published twice daily, yeah. have got hold of the story. And they're starting to talk about Jimmy Darcy and how can we help Jimmy Darcy. And what took place over the course of nearly 16 days was several stories around getting help from Perth. And in that time, they had to come up by paddle steamer all the way into Wyndham. And then from Wyndham. From Perth. From Perth. To Windham in a paddle steamer. Oh, well, wow. And... and your listeners will appreciate it. I haven't quite got the mode of transport right, but a boat under steam uh, <laughs> all the way to Windham, which took about five days. And then from Wyndham, we had yeah. to come inland into yeah. Halls Creek. And that was done um, by early automotive vehicle, which broke down.
0: Of course. And the,
2: as you do, because it's a very long way. It's a long
1: RAC call out from it's there It's a big know. RAC
2: call. And I'm sure they would have arrived <laughs> had they known. Um, and then on horseback to get to Jimmy Darcy. And it's as incredible. they arrive... The doctor says, where's Jimmy Darcy? And the room points to the other room only to see that Jimmy has died. Oh, no. I know. A little over five hours before they arrive. Oh, wow. So what it mobilised is this extraordinary sense of community support to be yeah. able to say, well, we've got to be able to do better than that. Mm. We've got to be able to help sooner and and really understand what that tyranny of distance was all about. And then at the same time, having heard of all these stories, um, the founders of the Sunshine Harvester, um, they died and they left a bequest for John Flynn and his then aeromedical experiment, Mm. which I just love because it talks about the fact that no one actually thought it would work. Mm. but we were prepared to give it a go anyway. And that's that quintessential tenacity that comes from the Australian character that sort of said, you know what, we've got to be able to work something out. Mm. We're not just going to send a Band-Aid, we're going to send a plane. Mm. And all of that was possible because a private in the Army in the First World War, Clifford Pell, wrote to John Flynn and said, I think what we need to be able to do is send aircraft Mm. into remote areas and then taking that a step further was Alfred Traeger, who actually started the radio and the pedestal, the, um, um, pedest- I'm going to say pedestal, but the powered radio that actually allowed the telecommunications. And that's also the basis for what was School of the Air, was the telecommunication yeah. network across the two organisations. So it's a lovely story of being able to show community organisations working together because that technology that was developed to be able to take us a step further than Morse Code um, actually went on to help provide education services into Mm. regional communities uh, and that it is a true 10-year development phase um, and that all of that time mobilising community support, both private philanthropy. Uh, government uh, and community members to deliver what we have today and that model still exists. So today we have a lot of support from government partners uh, for us here in Western Australia with WA Country Health through Lottery West, um, our partnership with Rio Tinto which has enabled us to bring in the PC24 and also the Commonwealth Government who provides support to us to deliver the service we do. But none of that would be possible without the generosity of West Australians, who still, for us, have raffles, uh, they have quiz nights, um, they have long table lunches, um, and private philanthropy that provides Mm. us with uh, the ability to deliver a service greater than self.
1: Yeah, it's an incredible story.
2: It really is. And, you know, to me, representing that um, sense of, you know, what it means to be Australian to help a mate when they need you most. Uh, it's really important in our community to hold that and how really special that is across yep. the whole Australian context.
1: Can I ask in the, in the time, uh, I know you've, you've been with the organisation since early last year, but I'm sure your predecessors have, have shared their own experiences with you. Um, given that it is so entrenched uh, in Australian society, the Royal Flying Doctor Service, and you mentioned um, where the funds come from to support it and, and, and help it to grow, um, has it gotten easier to fund the operation?
2: Yeah, that's... or has it
1: gotten more difficult? Given there are there are so many great causes around, people can't donate and give to all of them, and perhaps there's a perception I don't know that uh, that the Royal Flying Doctor Service is well looked after by the corporate end and the government end uh, in terms of of it up and supporting it financially. Has that gotten easier over the years or more difficult?
2: I think that um, it's a little bit of a combination of both. It is always challenging because it's very important to ensure that we are continuing to show our community how that service is benefiting and what their very hard-earned contribution is doing for us. And being able to tell that in a way that um, is meaningful, uh, you know, in private philanthropy, we talk a lot about social return on investment, and we talk about measuring social impact. So I think there's a sophistication that has come from the sector around really maturing into being able to put a quantifiable sense of not only does it just feel good to mm. make that contribution, but actually, this is the tangible evidence base that yeah. shows what you're actually delivering. I do truly think that our country brothers and sisters and our cousins in the city still have a great um, propensity to want to look after each other, and we still represent that. And I, you know, tell uh, WA people that you know whenever you are travelling one hundred kilometres outside of Perth, whether that's to Margaret River for you know a great quality red wine, or over to Rotto for a swim um, into the northwest uh, to see the extraordinary countryside, it's the RFDS that's there to look after you. Yeah. And even though that, you know, when you're in downtown city shopping, you might not think that, whenever you're venturing out, that, that we're really, we're there in the yeah. back of your mind. You don't have to think about it. Mm. You just know that we've got that level of support. And I think that's still incredibly valued mm. by all of community.
1: Can I ask too about the, I mean, Royal is in the title, obviously. It sure is. The British Royal family have been uh, long associates I of have. the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Does that relationship and that love still exist now?
2: It really does. And um, we have the friends of the Royal Flying Doctor in the UK and every year they fundraise for us. Actually this year um, at Australia House when uh, Australians went to vote, uh, if they were living in the UK, the sausage sizzle, the democracy sausage, was done by the <laughs> friends of the UK. and in, all So the, this
1: is in London? This She's is in London, outside, yeah. That, <laughs> I can just imagine Brits walking around just going...
0: What? What
1: are you doing what are you... <laughs> on voting day? I, on I voting day, I'm, I'm guessing they don't have the whole democracy sausage.
2: No, I think tradition. That there. Be a great development, wouldn't, wouldn't it? it? Hopefully, it's a trend <laughs> that might all... get a
1: few more people turn out to vote there in their non-compulsory system.
2: That's right. That's right. <laughs> they could uh, see what we do, and yeah. and all of that fundraising came to us in in Australia right. um, yeah. from the democracy sausage. So that's kind of cool. And. Yeah. and and certainly uh, when members of the Royal Family are visiting uh, mm. in whichever part of Australia, um, there is a, a drop-in to a Royal yep. Flying Doctor base. And yep. um, we, of course, are advocating strongly for whichever Royal arrives next to be able to come <laughs> and show them our new aircraft.
1: Well, they seem to like coming here.
2: Well, what's not to like, right? Exactly. Western Australia, is just exactly. stunning right and now. And
1: now you've got some magnificent planes you can...
2: We can. We can show them how innovative. You can show to them.
1: I won't say ferry them around in because they've got their own private jets.
2: No, and hopefully <laughs> they're not in a situation where they need a medical emergency. No,
1: exactly right. Um, Rebecca Tompkinson is our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories. I know you've worn many other hats uh, in your time uh, prior to taking on the CEO role at uh, the RFDS. So I want to hear more about that after the break. This is two six pr Inspiring Stories, back with more soon.
0: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on eight eighty two six BR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day.
1: Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Rebecca Tomkinson, who's the boss of the Royal Flying Doctor Service in WA, but uh, that is the hat she currently wears. She wears many other hats uh, as well and has worn several in the past as well. Can I ask you as well, uh, about the, the the Perth Zoo, another
0: Iconic. loved
1: institution sure here in, in Western Australia. Um, you're on the board?
2: I am on the, the board. Of the Perth Zoo? It's an amazing organisation yeah. and one that West Australians really love and as we enter... Uh, you will have heard that the zoo is master planning and Mm. that it will be involving the community and looking at what the future of the zoo in that master plan looks like, which is a very exciting time for the zoo, um, but also the broader WA community and um, tourism in Western Australia. So the zoo is extraordinary and i am just amazed at the complexity which you don't always appreciate when you get to see the beautiful displays and how well looked after and how much focus there is on animal well-being within the zoo which Mm. is really special
1: because i must say i'm a um our family's been friends at the zoo for a few years my boy loves going to the zoo Um, and one of the last emails i think we we got or notifications we got was that um the elephants, for instance, that are currently there, will be allowed to live out their their lives there, yeah. however long that may take. That's right. Um, but after that, they probably won't be around anymore because you're looking to go to a more open range, bigger, perhaps less animals, bigger enclosures, which seems to be a trend worldwide. Is that right?
2: It's definitely a trend worldwide, and and I think all West Australians would be really proud that the zoo has constantly looked to being a world leader. In how we look after our animals mm. and expectations in community have changed mm. over the life of the zoo, and what we know now is that um, big herd animals like elephants really do need that bigger space. And unfortunately, at the South Perth site, there's that there, we're a little bit landlocked can't in a you just, lovely can't you way.
1: Just buy up all that land around, oh, well, just... you know, <laughs> for a small price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: um, but you know, really looking after what's in the best interests of all of. Uh, the species that the zoo looks after. And um, what's exciting in the new master plan is the community input and really looking at what else we're able to do with that South Perth site. At the same time, you know, our elephants are are there and really encourage all uh, West Australians to get out there and and visit the zoo. It's still just an amazing asset, um, one that's really loved um, and one that has so many different things to see, I always am just astonished that I see something new every time I go.
1: Mm. Um, in, in terms of uh, some of the other things that you've done, you mentioned um, you grew up in Karatha. you're a country girl. I did. You've also been involved with the, uh, the Wheatbelt uh, Development, Development Commission. Commission. Yeah. So championing regional WA is obviously something that is incredibly uh, important to you.
2: Yeah, Tim. Look, I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, I spent my early childhood in Carruthers in the mid 70s when, yep. um, you know, it was still emerging as a. What was a, that?
1: Yeah, what was that like?
2: Oh, it? Such a that just. That must
1: have been really kind of Wild West frontier living, right? It was like
2: a girl's own adventure. You know, you just <laughs> kind of, we, you know, we, we I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of things that we did that you're not supposed to do anymore. So.
1: <laughs> Now's your chance. I know, Come I say this chance. without trying to be incriminating
2: <laughs> in any way. But, you know, we, we literally did swim with baby sharks and, you know, we took four wheel drives. Up all through the back beaches and saw extraordinary all
1: licensed vehicles, of course, all licensed drivers. Of course, absolutely. (laughs) I I still tease my
2: parents about being in the four wheel drive and you know them taking a nice casual Sunday drive only to have the tide uh, Mm. come in. So, you know, the tide coming in is literally the water lapping at the windows. Mm. So, (laughs) as a five year old, that's somewhat intimidating if I can say so. but just – and then, you know, spending the rest of my childhood and and school in northern um, yep. and that sort of country hospitality. So, you know, I am a um, – uh, well, I was an aspiring gymnast and I have a lot to credit the local PCYC for in um, being able to develop that ability in me. And um, as part of that gymnastics training, we also got to attend the – um, Youth Advisory Council, and I think it's civil structures like that that uh, have embedded a sense of contribution. So I really value what communities represent and how important it is to make sure we don't lose those assets. Mm. And, you know, as a young child, I just detested that it didn't matter what I did. Someone told mum and dad. <laughs> but can i tell you as a parent that is sensational <laughs> i just had no appreciation yeah. for how great it was that someone always knew where i was yeah um and even today people will still ask mum and dad so how's rebecca yeah. and you know and they'll still say oh we saw her doing So it's just really that lovely sense of looking after each other uh, that is so important, again, to um, what our community organisations do. And I think that's something very special Mm. throughout Australia. And as I've had the privilege of travelling a little bit as I've gotten older, to really see what sets us apart. And it's things like the local PCYC and the tennis club, uh, a Royal Flying Doctor service that are so special to our community infrastructure.
1: Yeah. So you're still a country girl at heart.
2: I truly am a country girl girl at heart and um, us country girls we know how to throw a good party so (laughs) i encourage you tim to come out and see the rfds at jandicott because i have seen it it's pretty cool
1: it's great Um, and particularly when you've got all the aircraft out there it is on the tarmac, it's fantastic, it's very and, and it's, it's a busy little place, isn't it?
2: It really is a very busy little place. Yeah, and um, you know, being able to see the level of activity um, yeah. is just amazing. Yeah. And you know, right through, we do all our own engineering, and we've got an engineering team who support the aircraft, and that quality and safety is incredibly important to us. Mm. So, being able to look after our own fleet of aircraft and the specialty services that we have uh, again really sets the service apart. Mm.
1: You have a history, I suppose, of being drawn to the not-for-profit sector, but you have also worked in the in the purely corporate sector as well. I mean, in banking, yeah, doesn't get more corporate than that. It doesn't. Um, do you feel more at home in the not-for-profit in, uh, industries, like you know, aged care that I know you spent some time in, um, and now in the Royal Flying Doctor Service? Is, is that uh, is that something you feel more passionate about?
2: Yeah, I think uh, again, as you as you get to understand um, how you see the world, um, that opportunity to continue to build change and to build on um, ideas is what mm. really motivates me and I feel very lucky to have spent um, time um, with Bankwest, I spent a little over five years and uh, really understanding how our corporate community works. Um, And I've also spent time in in government understanding... And
1: now you just try to get money out of them. I just, I do, both of them.
2: (laughs) I'll be calling a bit later. Um, And just, it was always always interesting how the systems work. And again, uh, the contribution that they both make. Like no single one is more important than the other. We actually all need each other. Um, Which sounds a little bit sort of, um, you know... Um, politically correct, but it's actually true. Mm. You know, really working together is very special yep. um, and something that we need to ensure that we continue to build on.
1: I imagine when you took on the role of uh, the CEO here in WA of the Royal Flying Doctor Service, you had some goals in mind. I imagine <laughs> it was a question if you had to go through the I'd... the interview and application process. Yes. Rebecca, what are you going to bring to the Royal Flying Doctor Service? And, and how did you answer that?
2: So what I answered that is a real sense of collaboration, of building a future, of looking at how we continue to partner with philanthropy and with community organisations to build our story and to ensure that just because we've been here 90 years, what do we need to do next? Like there's never a given for any organisation. What is the next part of our story So, my sense of what I could contribute was being able to lead through disruptive times Mm. and really taking the organisation on that innovation journey and ensuring that we stay true to that sense of community that Mm. is what we really are. So, we are a service that was built in the regions Mm. for regional people um, and it's important for us not to lose sight of that.
1: Yep. And how long do you think you're going to be there for?
2: Ever. I mean, does it get any better than this?
1: (laughs) You seem pretty happy. (laughs) I look, you know, I
2: I truly, it is just an an amazing and, you know, people sort of say to me, oh, you have to do a bit of travel and it's like, that's the best part because you get to be able to see all of uh, WA and all of the community activity that's happening. And I know sometimes West Australians aren't great at always telling our own story, but there are so many Mm. extraordinary people in WA really leading.
1: And you get to tell their incredible stories. I do. Of the incredible people who work for you. That's right. Thank you so much for sharing some of them with us today. It's we an Really absolute appreciate pleasure. it. Uh, this has been another episode of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. And this one, again, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA
0: inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Bower and O'Day.